Hi everyone, welcome to day four of the Make the World a Better Place Town Hall. And I'm super excited for today. We have an amazing guest, uh, Artemis, and she will be on very shortly. Cannot wait to talk to her about mental health and um, being trauma-informed and, and just diversity and inclusion in a different kind of way, making sure that everyone has access to good mental health. And she is an amazing relationship, uh, relationship coach and expert. Um, oh, there's so many things. So cannot wait till she pops on and uh, to give that to you. I hope that you've been enjoying my lives this week. I really have been, I've been so excited to do this. I've been so excited for you guys to know me as more than just the financial shark dress. And I cannot wait for you to, you to be captivated with the rest of the content that I have planned for the year. Um, I'm so lucky to be able to have this platform to talk about myself, to talk about all of the things that are important to me, and to be able to bring on guests that are experts in their fields so that we can, you know, give you a little bit more. So I see that um, Artemis is here. Let me, uh, let me see if I can get her on. All right. Should take another second. In the meantime, I'm gonna bounce on a ball. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, so if, if you don't know, now you know. I sit on a yoga ball all day at work. Uh, this is my home office in Phoenix, Arizona. And um, hey, hi. <laughs> I was just telling people because I'm sitting here like bouncing. Um, I, I literally sit on a yoga ball all day. So my ADD brain loves it when I get to just like do, 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 do. Keep it moving. <laughs> Yes. Okay. I'm so excited that you're on today. Um, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to the audience and tell a little bit about who you are, what you do. Yeah. So thank you for inviting me on. So hi, everybody. Yeah, my name's Artemis and I'm first a human being. I like to introduce myself that way because I am not any of the things that I do. And that's a big part of authenticity, right? Is like really embracing who we are outside of all these roles uh, that we show up as. So yeah, I'm definitely an imperfect human being first. And uh, so starting from there, I am a practicing marriage and family therapist. Currently right now, I work with clients around self-esteem and, uh, you know, relationship issues, uh, codependency, and um, anxiety, depression, a wide range. I have, I definitely have background working with eating disorders. I've worked at a, you know, a domestic violence and human trafficking uh, organization. I've worked at a substance abuse treatment facility. So pretty much I've I've at least dabbled in different various, uh, you know, issues and then embody you. So embody use, uh, the, uh, women's embodiment coaching, um, aspect of what I, what I do. And so that's really focused on women who are really desiring to step into who they truly are. Right. Because if the therapy aspect, I'm able to meet clients more of where they're at, um, in terms of what they're seeking and then embody you i get to focus solely on this aspect and so 
besides that, I'm also finishing up my doctorate in clinical psychology. I'm super excited. It's been a journey. I will be uh, doing my dissertation on trauma, shame, and homelessness. I'm really passionate about uh, the homeless population and just being a part of advocacy efforts, not just around homelessness, mental health in general, but um, specifically, yeah, like I'm really passionate about it. A little bit about me too is about five years ago, I ended up homeless on the streets of Hollywood. So um, mental health is a huge, huge passion of mine, um, especially making it more accessible to everybody, right? And equal, equal um, really good quality care because I think a lot of what's i'm kind of already jumping in a little bit on the topic uh, yeah i i think uh you know what's disappointing and witnessing what's what's out there especially like in living in the state of california right um if you have like medi-cal right or if you have no insurance the the quality of of mental health care is still not really it's not really supportive and client-centered and bless everybody who's in the field that's doing their best, but it's more of a systemic and structural change that needs to happen, right? Um, in terms of the type of quality care that we're providing, which is, it doesn't matter if you can afford hundreds and hundreds of dollars around mental health or whether you could barely afford any, I think still there's basic, basic quality mental health care that needs to be um, accessed, you know, and, and more space is created. So that's kind of where the advocacy aspect of myself kind of comes in and um, that I'm really passionate about. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. And besides those things, I really am passionate about, um, yeah, just like having fun, being creative, you know, um, going hiking, going to the beach, painting, writing poetry, dancing, baking, and connecting. So, ooh, I love all of those things. <laughs> so, I'm super happy uh, that you joined us. And I'm super happy that you dove right in because you said a couple of things that I really wanted to touch on. Um, I know uh, the mental health aspect, it's something I've been having conversations about with a lot of people um, about the mental health aspect of homelessness. Mm -hmm. And I know that so many, like I live in Arizona and the, the rents are rising so much that um, there's a lot more homelessness. And I've been having so many conversations with people about, you know, them thinking that people are homeless because they're lazy or they just, you know, are, and, and there's so many other pieces to it. Like I know so many stories of like their rent just got raised and now they have to live at, out of their car until they can find something else. And there's also such a huge, um, such a huge percentage of mental illness amongst mm -hmm. homelessness amongst the homeless like it's not just like people are lazy and don't want to go out to work and so it's warm outside so they just live outside nobody wants to live outside nobody wants to not have a home or running water or you know they they just it's just not how it works there's usually like a huge mental health aspect that we just don't deal with in this country at all. So I'm really glad that you touched upon that. And the other thing that I heard you say over and over was about trauma and all different, um, different traumatic events or different types of trauma and how, you know, how you work with those. So I wanted to know a little bit more about that. Yeah. So it um it definitely depends on where you're kind of first approaching trauma right because first you want to make you have you want to make sure that we have the basic needs met with any before you dive into any trauma work right you want to make sure that you have any you have certain external resources before you begin even feel safe enough accessing like internal resources so um from the previous experiences that I've worked at different agencies and practices, for instance, eating disorder clinic, right? A lot of clients who struggle with eating disorders, they have tra like extensive trauma, right? Not just like relational trauma and also 
event trauma and all that, but we can't work on the trauma unless we first address the eating disorder, right? Same thing with substance abuse issues, because I think a lot of with trauma, there's co-occurring, like other co-occurring issues, right? And so, yeah, these aspects first need to be addressed in terms of, okay, like we first need to make sure we're addressing your like eating issues first before we can even access the trauma. We got to first uh, address your substance abuse issues, vice versa, right? Or if you're in a, in a like a, a toxic relationship that's not really like supporting you, we're going to support you towards finding safety before we even try to process the trauma, right? Because I think when trauma's uh, approached and um, addressed too soon and too quickly, it can be re-traumatizing, right? So um, then it depends on where clients are at. Because uh, I mean, like I said, I've worked with a variety of different agencies, right? And a lot of, there's a lot of opposing opinion about what's a better trauma, <laughs> like what's a better trauma um, approach. And I guess I'm like one of those that I'm just attuned to people in general, wherever they at. Because the reality of our world today is that okay, yeah, there's um, clients who maybe don't have access to resources as much that they're not going to be able to be open to somatic experiencing because their body's not ready for that deeper level of processing of trauma. And like for listeners who aren't familiar with somatic approaches, right, it's going to be more of uh, approaches that kind of get you more into your body. Cause I mean, with trauma, right, there's a lot of overthinking and a lot of being disconnected from our bodies, a lot of struggling still with like depression and the anxiety, um, consistently. Right. Um, besides, cause I think too, with trauma, we tend to associate more of, um, symptoms of, well, if I'm not automatically reliving events, right. Cause we think, oh, trauma is just reliving events or past memories, but no, like you can, I think we're a world of trauma. Just having lived into this world, we're not a supportive world around authenticity, safety, support, community, and all these aspects. So trauma too is not just these traumatic events. It's also how your body responds to these events. Also contingent on like how you grew up, right? There's all these other factors around this. But um so yeah, so I think it, the approach, it really depends on um, where you're at because say, you know, I've had clients that I've worked with in the past, single, single, um, maybe a single mom juggling a full-time job and she doesn't have any other support in her life really right now, right? Or um, yeah, she doesn't have a lot of support. So I'm not going to be diving head into trauma like right away with that and ex ex exhausting her resources. And the reason why I'm stressing and, and I'm giving different scenarios is because there's no shame where you're at on the journey. Because I think that's a huge part of trauma is this comparison piece of like, man, why can't I just figure it out? Or why can't I heal faster? Or what's wrong with me, right? And I just really want to like really honor wherever you're at in your journey. And like you're seriously doing the best that you can. And a lot of the times too, right, with clients I've worked in in the past too, where maybe there's hardly any other resources and they're working full time and maybe they're working in a, a toxic work environment that's not even really supportive towards their needs. It's like, I'm just trying to create that safe space for her to meet her where she's at because she can't even access this in general. And we're beings wired for co-regulation. And I think there's a lot of spiritual BS that I like to call out. <laughs> Because it makes me so upset of all these, oh, you know, you need to reach this point of your evolution where you're, you know, you're going to be like self-sufficient and you're going to be so, you know, and it's like, well, great. But, you know, let's also kind of normalize that we're human beings too, no matter what. And like, we need community and we need support. Right. So yeah. I like to really, um, you know, stress the different scenarios because, um, it's gonna look differently with specific clients, right? But where I usually start a lot is with safety in the body. So if I look at where you're at in life and you hardly have any resources in your life to really be supported in doing trauma work, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go there first. I'm gonna be that anchoring support and consistency in your life that's gonna create that safe space with, for you, right? And that's enough. 
like that I can meet you where you're at. But then I see, and I'm going to bring up too, because I'm sure there's various um, listeners on here. What I see a lot too is shaming though in, you know, in the coaching industry or wherever out there for, you know, victim mentality and people who, you know, can't um, grow fast enough or whatever. And it's like, or, you know, it's like, let's just honor where everybody's at on their journey, right? And and where to be attuned and being present because once again, I mean, there's, there's so much shaming that I just see that goes all over. But anyways, so the first aspect would be creating safety, you know? And um, so I know we kind of mentioned about a little bit of nervous system re regulation, right? So with trauma, um, depending on the amount of trauma history that you do have, uh, it's like you have an overactive dysregulated nervous system, right? And, and it's really important when you begin to create safety in your nervous system, that you begin identifying what that actually feels like in your your body, because there's different stress responses, right? There's the fight, flight, freeze. Now they, they're talking about a fawn response, right? So there's, different yeah there's these different with the people pleasing right so there's these different ways we respond to stressful situations and the thing is is that the more that you heal your trauma and the more that you have more support in your life um you're more resourced your window of tolerance or your ability to hold stressful situations and process them and regulate your nervous system um that's that's what it becomes more about in terms of like uh being attuned to your needs and like kind of um discerning like how much you can hold in your life so if you feel like so let me just give an example so i because i know i'm kind of going all over the place so with um say for instance like with anxiety right that's going to be more of the flight response or you're kind of in that fight response to just you're like you're riled up and you're just you're just pissed right so there's a couple ways that you can begin to ground yourself and access the safety in your body so what you can begin to do is like first start off if you can just with your breath right so a simple exercise that i usually like to um, invite clients around is just notice your breath right so um you can inhale for three seconds and then the exhale is going to be out for six seconds right so let's i'm going to kind of just guide you all if you all are open to doing it together okay so just kind of get a little comfortable in your your seat feel your feet on the ground and you can also kind of just take in the room that you're in right now to create safety for your body that it knows because another thing that helps with creating safety in your body is just knowing where you're at knowing your surroundings knowing where um everything is and kind of just taking inventory of that and feeling your feet on the ground and then before we kind of do a little bit of this like breathing i just invite you to notice if there's any tension in any part of your body and just begin to whatever feels good just stretching whatever part of your body yeah, I know for me, um, I carry a ton of tension in my shoulders. So immediately when you started to talk, I was like rolling out my shoulders, trying to get it ready, trying to get it loose, because that's how like my body, I've noticed even from childhood, like that's how my body holds trauma. It's always in my shoulders. It's like I have these knots that don't like let go and I have to constantly just like remind myself to roll yeah. it go. Exactly, exactly. So, and then you wanna just like, arriving back into the moment, I'm gonna invite you to just take a deep inhale in through your nose and exhale it out through your mouth. And I really wanna invite you, you know, to begin noticing are you breathing with your chest only or your tummy? Like you really want to bring a lot of awareness because I see so much of clients who are not even aware of their breathing patterns throughout the day. You know, um, you really want to engage your tummy 
Um, and I know it feels a little weird, but you want your tummy on the inhale to expand in addition with your chest. And then on the exhale, you can just kind of release naturally, organically. It's not a forced. But a lot of the times, clients are not even aware of how much they're holding the breath right and they're not breathing through their their chest so we really want to engage the the tummy the diaphragm to regulate the system to slow yourself down because it increases oxygen flow which is going to allow you to just um yeah decrease your stress and get you back more into like a normal pace so now i'm going to invite you to just go ahead and um, what we're going to do right now is i'm going to count for three seconds. Uh, while I'm counting for the three seconds, you're gonna inhale for those three seconds. And then when I count from one to six, you're gonna exhale out through your mouth for the six seconds. If at any time this feels uncomfortable, listen to your body. And um, say you can't exhale for the six seconds, like that's completely okay. Like everything's an invitation, right? So let's mm -hmm. just start. So one, two, Three, one, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. So that's something because when you're wanting to regulate uh, regulate your nervous system when it's more of a flighty, fighty response, what you want to do is since there's so much energy from the stress, you want to begin to soothe, like soothe and bring yourself back down to like, right, like a soothed, regulated, grounded state, right? Because a lot of the times with maybe a, a free or a, like depression episodes is we'll lose energy. And then situations, and I'll, I'll, I'll give an example of how to regulate your nervous system when it's more in like a foggy, numb, low energy. But when you're in that type of state, you want to amp up your energy to kind of shift you out of this like, um, yeah, like I said, like low energy to kind of bring energy back in your body. But another thing, if you're dealing with anxiety and um, like the flight, um, response or the fight response is you can always grab like a, a cup um, or your phone or whatever and the same thing that we just kind of did like sitting down kind of attuning making sure your feet are on the ground looking at the room that you're in you literally can get the cup and just begin to just do bilateral stimulation so what that does is it helps move the energy you know like all the excess energy because a lot of the times when you're triggered with stress mm -hmm. um there's only one part of your brain that's working <laughs> and so we want to do is get both like all areas of your brain on board and like shifting that energy out of your system and one of the things is that your eyes help like your eyes send signals to your brain that also kind of help um let your body know it's safe so something to doing as simple as this will help you really stay regulated and get your your um yeah get yourself back to like a like a more grounded state um so that that's pretty simple um these are and what we're kind of using too are like internal because i said how there's internal and external resources right so say which this happens, say you can't even get yourself to do this. Like you can't get yourself to do this. You can't get yourself to do the breath work. You can't get yourself to even <laughs> look around the room. Then this is where you get to reach out for help. If you're just witnessing yourself, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm numbing out so much like on my phone, which happens, right? Like Corona, everything that we've been navigating. Um, yeah, it's okay. Like you're human. We need co-regulation. So what I would encourage you to do is instead of getting hard on yourself and being like, why the hell can I not do these simple things? Just be like, okay, like I really need help and support and I need co-regulation and reach out to a safe person that you can um, process things with. And I really want to normalize that you're human. Like we need connection. We can't do it all alone. I can't do it alone. I have support that I need. I need co-regulation, you know? Yeah. Um, 
And it seems like you resonate, right? Yeah, like that, that's something that I learned really, uh, I learned really well this, this last year. So in 2021, I was um, diagnosed with a heart condition called POTS, where my heartbeat is irregular, like it goes it would go like all the way up to 200 and then all the way down to like 40 and I had no control over it. And I was just like, how can I not get this under control myself? Like I didn't know what to do. And eventually what I had to do was um, I had my partner who's now my fiance, like I would have him like touch my arm and then have me sing a song with him so he's a musician and like we would sing songs together because that would be that made me like stop freaking out stop feeling like I was gonna have a heart attack because like one of the things the doctors kept telling me was you're not gonna die you're not gonna have a heart attack structurally your heart is fine you just have to make it through the episode and like I needed that other person I needed that support system because when you're in it and especially if you're, if, you know, that would start to make me anxious. And then you'd go through the cycle where you're just like running it over and over in your head. And like just having somebody else physically touch me and get me out of it, get me out of my own head. And then have me focused on something else like singing our favorite song was the difference right? It helped me through those episodes. Like I got through those episodes way faster and like a lot easier with someone else rather than if I was just to rely on myself. Like I did breathing exercises and I would do all these exercises, but there's only so much that you can do by yourself. If like, like you said, like you're living it in your head, you're just going over and over. And like in my head, I just kept without that other person in my head, I was just thinking like, what if this is the time when it is a heart attack? What if this, this is the time when my heart does stop? Like, what if, what if? And to get myself out of that, I needed my community. I needed my support. I needed another person. Yeah, that makes my heart so warm hearing you share just uh, your permission giving to allow yourself to receive support and the power in that. Because I think, especially I'm sure there, like I said, there's different listeners, but you know, whether maybe if you're a high performer, right, you're so used to just like excelling and like, I got this down and I got this tool and I can do this and I'm healed to this and I blah, blah, blah. And it's so easy to sometimes, uh, think you can handle a lot more than what you can handle. Right. And I think that's why it's so important to uh, be honest about our vulnerabilities, right. And see it as a gateway to connection instead of something wrong with us. Right. Um, Cause shame can do that. It can have us hide and, and over function and, um, and have difficulty for that support. So I'm glad that you were able to, to notice it and be open to receiving yeah i mean for me it i had to because i am that person who like is super high functioning and i've like had a really stressful life and like filled with lots of trauma and i've always been able to like do it on my own and then when i got to this point and i had this thing happen that i you know like i had absolutely no control over and there was no way to like get myself out of it. You know, you always think like, oh, you know, I can just snap myself out of it. I can keep going. I can make it work. I, I, I'm that type of person. But when you go into these situations and you have no control, you need to just let go completely. And it took a while to do that. And I'm, and like you said, like I had to be able to do that. I had to be vulnerable. I had to be like, I, I am not, you know, just the only person on this earth uh, that, you know, I can do this with someone else and I can have that help. And I, I'm worthy of that help because that was a big part of it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love that you shared that because yeah, I could only imagine how scary it must've been for you, you know, and then having these like experiences in your body that you're just like, yeah, I don't even know what to do. And I love the worthiness piece because I think that's where 
the more that we shed our perfectionism, right, where it's like, um, how can I fix myself or I got this or, you know, I got this all on my own. It's, it's like, oh, man, I can't I can't do it anymore. I need more support. And so, um, yeah, I, I appreciate that we're like just stressing this, you know, because co-regulation is really important. And it's not just necessary when things shit's hitting the fan or something like make co-regulation a normal part of your life even when things are going great just because right we also want to practice certain things not just when they get stressful but also when they're not so we can actually make it more of our like make it a part of our re repertoire routine you know yeah i love that because the I always say like the best time to build a support system is when you don't need it, mm -hmm. right? You can really nurture the relationships. That's when you can really build the system for yourself. And then it's there when you need it because right. when you, and shit is hitting the fan, like it is hard to reach out for support. It is hard to find that. It is hard to get the help that you need. Like, as someone who has like struggled with depression and a lot of other things in my life and, and all the trauma that I've been through, um, like I had a, I grew up in a domestic violence uh, situation. I went to a domestic violence shelter when I was in mm -hmm. you know, 12, 13 years old. Um, like going through all of that, like sometimes it's so hard to reach out to people it's so hard to start building. You just don't want to, you don't have the energy to, to try to build those support systems. So like having them in place and taking care of like these types of things when you're okay, that that's the best way to do it because then it's there for you when you need it. Exactly. Because you're giving yourself time to build relationships too and of safety right because when you don't feel safe you don't feel safe in opening up <laughs> you know like you're just like i'm so scared of opening myself up and showing this vulnerable part of our like part of ourselves and so that it's like you yeah you want to focus on the building the connection prior because then it's like even if you're not feeling safe in the moment your brain can register well this is a safe person though and yeah. a lot of do our our brain lies to us right there's like these thoughts that are just not true of just <laughs> even if you're like in the thick of it and you're like so scared of allowing someone in too i think it's important to realize um once again like maybe if you have certain support communicating to them if you are going through a tough time ahead of time so they can check on you if you also struggle with patterns of not really checking in as much you know um i think that's really important yeah and it it brings me back to this idea of like we should all have access to mental health care because that's like i i tell everybody like i think everyone needs a therapist every mm -hmm. single person on this earth should have a therapist that should be included in our regular health checkups like mental health is is real like we oh, yeah. all have a therapist even if there's nothing going wrong right just to have another person that is it's just there that you can talk to that you can get things like just to bounce ideas off of bounce like feelings off of just to hear yourself say the word sometimes saying it out loud seeing yourself well and i know and it's just it's crazy it's so bizarre that this is I'm like, why isn't, right? Why isn't it a part of our schools more? Why isn't it a part of our institutions more? Why aren't the people in positions and leadership and our government and, you know, why aren't they like more, more with their mental health, right? Especially people in positions of power, you know? Um, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree that this needs to be, well, especially um, access accessible for everybody. Um, but especially a requirement for people in positions of leadership, because that is why we have so many world issues, right? The misuse of power and that results from mental health, because I know you um, had some 
you know, on the, the summit details, a little bit of like financial health and all these other, well, it all goes back to mental health because the more that you heal your trauma and you're grounded in your mental health, that impacts every other aspect of your life, right? Your relationship to finances, your relationship to everybody else, your family, your friends, um, your relationship with your career, your relationship to God, even if you're spiritual or whatever is your higher power, right? Like, it all goes back to these fundamental components and there does need to be more emotional intelligence, um, you know, education and schooling. I know there's some, you know, right now, but there still needs to be progress. I hear stories still of how even a couple of years ago, how, um, I've heard about in like a health class, how this teacher had a four, 14 year olds log in calorie counting from that age and it ends up triggering like eating disorder behaviors and i'm like are you serious like oh 14 year old girls do not need to be counting their calories like are you freaking serious so there it needs to be in our more in our school system i mean there's so much that's necessary around this yeah, and there's so much it's crazy that you say that because I grew up in a in a community that had a lot, a lot of eating disorders because it was literally drilled into young girls' heads from the time that they were like toddlers. You have to be skinny. You have to be skinny. If you're not skinny, you're not so I grew up in a in a religious um Jewish community. Um and there it was like you have to be skinny or else no one's going to want to marry you. You're not going to have a husband. You're not going to have a family. You're not going to have this. You're not going to have that. And then there is all these generations of women with eating disorders. And they wonder, like, why does our community have so many eating disorders? Well, because you're torturing these children, you know, in, like, counting their calories and portion control and, like, you know, they're like kids. They should be able to have a dessert every now and again. And <laughs> right, right. And I mean, there's intuitive eating too, right? Our body has a natural, natural rhythm to it, right? Natural instincts and feelings and desires. And when you're in touch with that, right? When you killed enough trauma, like not healed enough trauma, but when you've released more trauma to embody more of your authenticity, right? There's more of this surrender to your body's natural rhythms and our body naturally knows its hunger signals and when it's full and when it uh when it's wanting something and craving there's still self-trust and acceptance around that versus judgment and control and shame all around that you know i still see it though even in like um gyms or certain trainers you know nutritional trainers there needs to be more before client uh you know before anybody's worked with they need to see the mental health history or at least ask have you ever had any eating disorder issues in the past because i've personally experienced it and i've seen it in clients and i've heard stories of where you go to a specific uh, fitness studio and then they um want to begin to kind of get you to track all these calories as a part of the program and that can just activate just eating disorder behavior all over again right um which yeah kind of it goes both ways sometimes like when you're forced to like track everything or when you're forced to like limit intake you binge totally and it like it has the opposite effect of what you're trying to to the outcome that you're actually trying to get Totally, totally. When I used to work at this eating disorder clinic, we used to say food was food is not the issue. It's not the issue at all. And that's what you usually think is food is the enemy. Food is not the enemy. And we want to get rid of this whole good food versus bad food because when food just is, it releases the shame piece. And it's exactly that bad food. This is bad food that creates more of this potential for binging because there's guilt and shame wrapped up in it and then it ends up perpetuating the cycle right of restriction and then binging and restriction and binging and i think we have a lot more disordered even if we don't want to diagnose it i think as a like society in general i think we have a lot more disordered eating 
in majority of us, then we're really willing to acknowledge, right? Or always trying to find that specific diet or the rules that will work for us. But it's like, it's not, and that's not how we work, right? And bringing it back to this conversation around trauma, I think that's why we need so much education too, um, you know, around some of these it's like we're talking about and we're familiar with it right but it's like these need to be the core foundations of foundational trainings for any professionals in the medical industry right because i'm sure you've heard so many you know if you're a listener always advocate for your health right because you know your body more than anybody else does and if you go to a provider who's making it seem like they know what's up, but something doesn't feel right for you, or they're not taking the time to really find a solution for you or find something that works for you, you know, keep challenging it. Because I think when you go and seek providers or professionals, um, and they have this like one up power dynamic position and you struggle with trauma, right? You might struggle to still assert your voice and to like, assert your own body autonomy and sovereignty. And I think it's really important when you go into spaces of any expertise, you still challenge the expertise and that hopefully they know their limitations of whoever you're working with, right? Because whoever you're working with, if they claim to know everything about whatever and they're not honest about maybe where, yeah, where their limitations are, then that's a red flag. But you always want to really be, um, listened and, and, and witnessed and, and attuned to, you deserve to be heard and seen when you're, when you're receiving service from any provider. hundred percent. I, it's crazy because, because of this, like a uh, POTS diagnosis. So like, that's something that's very, that's not easily diagnosed. Okay. And like, it took me, um, almost nine months of just going from doctor to doctor mm-hmm until they finally figured it out like figured out what it was and how to help me with it and it ended up being a naturopath at the Mm -hmm. end that i figured it out and it like i got the even i had gotten the diagnosis a little bit before that but i was literally just given medication to mask the symptoms that was making me even sicker so like and and what ended up happening was especially in the beginning people just kept telling me that I was having panic attacks. And I was like, I know my body. This is not a panic attack. I'm not stressed. It's also happening while I'm in the middle of sleep. So you're literally telling me that I'm sleeping, having a panic attack in the middle of my sleep and waking up from it. And like, I'm like, yes, there is panic associated with it after my heart rate is at 200. For an hour and I can't get it down yeah I'm starting to panic because I'm thinking like how much longer can my body take this um, but it was literally going from doctor to doctor and I had so many doctors like even my PCP who I trust like a hundred percent like he was doing telehealth visits and then I finally got into his office and he actually up until that moment he thought I was having panic attacks when I got into his office and he literally saw an episode happen, he was like, this isn't panic. Like, this is real. Like, this is a real thing. And he, he was like, okay, we need to do this, this, and this, and this. But like, it took me getting all of my tests and literally I made a Google Drive folder with all of my medical tests in it. And I would bring it from doctor to doctor and be like, here, this is all of my tests. This is all of the things that are happening. Like, the cardiologist, it, it was crazy. And I knew that I couldn't continue the treatment that he had put me on because I have naturally low blood pressure. And what they kept telling me was in order to take the medication that reduces your heart rate when you're having one of these attacks, you need to have high blood pressure mm. to start eating salt. So I was literally eating spoonfuls of salt just to get my blood pressure high enough to take a medication that would bring it down with my heart rate. And I was making myself sick because I could never get my blood pressure high enough to take the medication. So here I was just shoving myself full of salt and like feeling horrible all the time and never being able to get the 
the the actual episodes under control and so that's why i just kept going and i had to be my own advocate but when you're sick it is so hard to be your own advocate like <laughs> totally want somebody to believe you and exactly. you know, that's that's the place that we need to get to with our health professionals because we've given them like they have like these god complexes where they're like i know it i know better than you what did you webmd this like yeah maybe i did a little research but also maybe i didn't and i just know what i'm feeling and i've lived in this body for at that point 33 years like i know what's normal for me and this is not normal like mm -hmm. just wanted like someone to believe me and it took going to a naturopath uh you know like i had a diagnosis and everything but i could not continue that treatment and i was like i'm gonna try something else i'm gonna go to a naturopath who looks at the body as a whole i'm gonna bring him all my medical tests and we ended up figuring out that like yes i do have pots but it was being exacerbated by um, a hormonal imbalance and once i started um, taking like a naturally compounded version of that hormone the episodes calmed down and I'm now still have them every once in a while, but I know when it's going to happen. Like there are very clear triggers that I can avoid. Like I have to, you know, I have to do all of the things that they told me to do, like stay hydrated, um, sleep well, you know, like your basic stuff, but, uh, you know, no caffeine. If I have alcohol, then I know that I'm more likely to have an episode the next day, but like, I can pinpoint it now. It's not happening all day, every day, like it was a year ago. Yeah, I'm so sorry you had to go through that nine months. I can't even imagine how frustrating it must have been for you. And the word that popped up to me was gaslighting, right? I mean, even if these professionals didn't intend in a way to do it, it essentially is the gaslighting because it's like they're not hearing you and seeing you. And then they're kind of like, <laughs> then you end up feeling wait, well, I know my experience, right? <laughs> like I, I know what my body is going through and yet you're telling me that it's not it, but I know what my body's going through. And thankfully, like for you, right? Somebody who's more resourced, but look at how much the impact it had on you, right? Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean. I've yeah. seen people who didn't get diagnosed with this for four years. Oh my gosh. Imagine having that going through that for four years going to doctors and them just telling you that you were imagining it like trauma. it it's trauma inducing and yeah we need to we need to be better mm -hmm. listen to people when they're telling you that something is wrong i feel like i've seen so many things in the news lately where doctors like dismissed things that were happening in people's bodies and then like come to find out it was something major i like somebody was having stomach pain it turned out it to be cancer or something like that like i've been reading all these different articles and i'm just like we need to start believing people and actually seeing them when they come into the office you know and, and do effort to support them if they want a specific test give them the specific test to at least honor their requests right yeah and trust me like most people do not want to have unnecessary medical tests <laughs> like you know like that's another thing like insurance needs to start understanding and paying for all of these like preventative and like yeah i had another situation this last year where like my gynecologist wanted to do a pap smear and my insurance company was like no you had one two years ago you don't get another one for another year you have to wait three years in between like preventative medicine exam mm -hmm. no i completely agree and i think naturopath i would like to see more of the preventative even like the i know in some insurance acupuncture right but like there needs to be it'd be great for these alternative forms to still be accessed through that right um and another thing, that's what I typically tell clients too when they have me. I'm like, look, if your doctor is not talking to you and you have access to resources, go see a naturopathic doctor, you know? Um, because 
and like I said, it, it depends on like where a client's at in terms of their resources, right? Because another thing that I like that I see with certain clients, um, and if they have their insurance right, there's still gonna be shame around taking medication. Now, look, I know medication can have side effects. And at the same time, though, if that's all the resources that you have access to, there's no shame in giving yourself permission if that's what you're needing for that time being, right? Um, and that's something that you would want to consult with your psychiatrist. You'd want to find one that you feel comfortable with, that you can speak your truth, giving your fears and concerns, and then finding a medication that works for you. Because I know um, I used to be somebody that was completely anti-medication. But honestly, at certain points of my mental health journey, I didn't have a lot of resources. And the and and having been on um, Medi-Cal, the medication route was something I surrendered to, and it was really a struggle for me to surrender to that, right? Because I have in my head only organic, only like only all these things. And what I realize is, is it's not black and white. It's not, and it comes down to your embodiment, your your choices and your need to take care of yourself. And I think that's why it's so important to just give yourself permission to be open to support in a way that's gonna still feel good for you and you're gonna feel in informed, safe, and supported around that. Yeah, you should be able to like understand everything you're taking and also, you know, sometimes you need a little push to get to stasis. Like we can't do everything organically all the time. <laughs> like that little that little edge taken off so that you can deal with everything else that's going on especially, especially mental health i know i'm laughing because it's just so funny how i think on this pursuit of perfectionism of like what it means to be completely enlightened and like free and like all of that like which don't get me wrong, that's like a great desire, but I'm like, hey, if we need to be human, we do live in this reality <laughs> that sometimes it's just okay to be human, like, you know, and just, um, like, I'll share something really funny. The other day, I was craving a Carl's Jr. burger, and I haven't had one in, like, 10 years, and I'm like, why am I craving a Carl's Jr. burger? And I didn't judge myself. My old self with all my eating disorder issues would have been like, well, it's not organic. It's it's not da-da-da. It's not. And I was like, I don't even give a fuck right now. I'm just going to go and enjoy the damn Carl's Jr. burger and just listen to my body. If it's craving, there's a reason. And I enjoyed it. And that was that, right? And I'm not going to have another Carl's Jr. burger like you know, that's a whole nother conversation, right? Because I mean, I know with companies and da -da -da. but I think that this journey, it's like, part of your mental health is just letting yourself just be wherever you're at. And and honoring your damn journey as you continue to embody who you are, break the rules, <laughs> give yourself permission to break the rules of how you think you should be, or how things are question any modality or whatever works for other people to give yourself permission to know what you need, what you want, give yourself permission to royally fuck up, excuse my language, because no. a part of making mistakes is learning about ourselves. And if we can, if we had more spaces where we could laugh at our mistakes and like, salad, like, hell yeah, you failed right now. Like, hell yeah. Can we just like, <laughs> end up? man, I'm so proud of you. You fucked up today. I'm so proud of you. Like, we need spaces. I'm serious. I need that. Like, I need that. And I'm serious. I'm, I've been contemplating recently that I'm going to create those spaces because I think we need to shift our neural circuitry. We need community to laugh with one another and begin to just be a little bit more flexible and lean on each other for what it means to be human because it's tough some days being human, you know? Yeah. And I think the the thing that keeps coming to mind when you're talking, it's like, it's okay to not be okay. <laughs> Accept that. Like, we're not going to be okay all the time. It's just not possible. Like, we live in a traumatic world with traumatic events, especially the last couple of years and just the last week. Like, right. there's so much trauma happening all around us. And this idea that we somehow have to be perfectly fine and normal and sane and healthy all the time is completely insane. Like, <laughs> can't. Like, 
uh, I forget who said this quote, but like they said, like, nobody goes through life unscathed. <laughs> like, everybody has something that happens. And it's okay for that to, to be. It's okay to not be okay sometimes. And the idea is like, how do you get how do you accept that moment? And then how do you heal from that moment? You know, totally, which comes back to, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just saying to like, give yourself that space to be able to heal from that. Totally. And I think a key word you said is space, right? Like create space in your day for space, because that's key to connect to yourself, right? Because I think when you struggle with anxiety, depression, or whatever, it's so easy to book yourself up all throughout the day with people, commitments, work. So create that space and begin to try to access that safety, right? No, minimize your stress triggers, right? Um, if you know that, uh, if you know that coffee, drinking coffee or tea is going to easily amp up your energy and make you a little anxious. Okay. We'll be conscious, right? Set a little boundaries. If you like it, like for me instance, I love tea. I still love tea, but it makes me a little more anxious. So I got to make sure I set boundaries of like, okay, not on the days that I have more stress triggers, you know, but on other days. And I think, um, you know, having that continued support. Another thing that I will share as a tool, right, for regulating the nervous system is like, what you can do is hug yourself, right, and put some pressure points on your shoulder and begin to just continue kind of putting that pressure just drawing it down your biceps all the way down to your elbows and then bringing it back up again to the top of your shoulders. If you just do that, it just continuously, that's gonna really help soothe and ground your, your nervous system, right? Touch is so huge. So you wanna focus on breath, your breath, touch. I mean, I think we need a lot more touch than, we're, than we admit to ourselves. I know I need a lot of touch. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Minimizing sounds, sensitive sounds. So make sure you're putting on maybe like soothing music. Um, I, I know if you struggle with ADHD, your tendency might want to put up more like amped up music, but really probably what you're needing is more like soothing music, right? To not amp up your nervous system. Um, yeah. And so, and then what you can also do if you're struggling with, and this will be like, you know, one last thing, what you can do if you're struggling with like, um, the the low energy or the like depression right you can always an external tool is put cold water in your face that will immediately wake up your energy right or you can always take both of your pointed fingers and you can just kind of put it in front out in front of your um your eyes and you can begin to just move your fingers left to right and just tracking that while you're being in your body feeling your feet on the ground and you can lift it up and going down. Another thing that you can do too is you could always just like take, yeah, take it up here, your fingers up here and bring it back down and then extend it to the, to the middle, the sideways and then bring it back and then extend it down and follow it. Then you do the same thing on the other side. So you take it, go up to the right side, extend it up, follow it bring it back to center, extend it out to the right, to the middle, center, and then down. And these are just a couple more tools. So what is happening in your body when you're doing that, when you're following your fingers? Yeah, so it's that bilateral stimulation again, that it's helping your body just kind of disperse the energy more, um, it's distributing the energy to release from your body in general. Cause a lot of the times with trauma, right. And stress, the energy will only, um, I guess, get fixed in a certain region, maybe of your body or your brain. So when you're doing bilateral stimulation, you're kind of, um, opening up the energy, like by the range of motion, okay. which allows the tracking to kind of the energy to just be more dispersed. So, and it's also a safe way too, right? Of it's like you're in your body, but you're still a little distracted because you're just still doing something. So you're practicing the mindfulness too. It's tolerating more um, discomfort with the sensations that you're experiencing too. 
Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. I, I love these tools and tips. Like I, there are some of them that like definitely like with the breathing I've used, but I never even thought about tracking like my fingers or tracking like a cup or something like that. Like, but it makes a lot of sense. Like, mm -hmm. like get yourself out of your own head and into the physical world because i think that that's where a lot of it lies like you you get trapped with the trauma you get trapped with the stress and you have to like get yourself get your attention outside of the situation and start focusing on something else even if it's your own fingers totally and your in your eyes really are connected to your brain and and it, you know, there's a, it goes a lot deeper too, but on a physiological level, your eyes can help regulate your nervous system around that too. So it is when you are doing that for sure, it's like doing deeper stuff. But I think if you can make this a habitual part of your day and not waiting until you feel overly stressed and anxious is really important. Even if you only have one minute that you can do a check-in throughout your, you know, um, on the hour or whenever you can remember, just giving yourself that one minute to just ground and recheck in with yourself, that is where you're gonna be minimizing so much of your, like your stress and anxiety even more. Yeah, I love that. And I also <laughs> love the the hugging yourself. Like that mm -hmm. does, it does calm you down. It does, like they say that we need like 20 seconds of a hug every day, at least. So mm -hmm. like, you're alone I mean especially if like you have COVID and you're quarantining <laughs> or anything else and you can't you don't have anyone around you like hug yourself yes your body doesn't know the difference really right um yeah I know I need to hug myself a lot because I mean being single too and actually right now I, my dog's right next to me I'm just petting her that's another way that you can regulate right is petting an animal being out in nature making sure you're grounding nature free <laughs> allowing yourself to be held by mother nature yeah that that is one of the things i feel like is the most it's funny because when i like do meditation i always go back to like this one place in nature which is the ocean and i always think of myself literally being cradled by mm. by water and just having that that like I'm a scuba diver. So I love being like in the ocean. I love being around the water. I love being in the water. And it really is like a hug. It's like mm -hmm. something is holding you supporting you at all times. And it feels amazing. And so that's why like I use it when I'm when I'm meditating and they like tell you to go to that place where you like feel secure and cradled. Like that is my place. I love support of like nature literally holding me up right now mm -hmm. oh i love that and as you're mentioning that it's too for listeners if um you have trouble visualizing right because sometimes when your nervous system is dysregulated it's really hard to even visualize so like say you getting a picture of that ocean right or another soothing just having that right next to you and looking at it to soothe you when you need to as an external resource is really helpful also, you know? And, but tying it up, cause I also wanna just, I know we're, we're needing to end soon, but um, tying it back up to the accessible mental health care, what we're talking about should be basic. Like, I just also wanna let listeners know, like this is like basic fundamental, what everybody needs to have access to. Mm -hmm. In school, this shouldn't be hard information that we need to find. This is something we should be implementing in the classrooms on a consistent basis, right? Um, providing space, these tools on for family nights in schools after getting this, these resources and this information, right? And also spaces to talk authentically, right? Um, just co-regulation. I think that's trauma-informed care is how can we create more spaces in our schools with our teachers and where we have these uh, co-regulation, let's just check in today. Hey, like let's just check in. Yeah, yeah, I think that's super important. And and I, if you do start some space, some safe spaces, please let me know. I would love to share those with 
everyone I know, because I feel like everybody needs that. We really do. And even if, you know, like they're not able to go to yours, like create the safe space for yourself wherever, mm -hmm. you know, I was told by a friend, like, you know, if you have like a closet that you, cause, uh, so last year, um, one of the other traumatic things was, um, my dog of 13 and a half years. I had him since he was a puppy, he passed away. And like, he used to love to lay in the closet. And so like, I literally made myself like a space in the closet where I could like sit and like be close to him. Even mm -hmm. gone and like that became my safe space. Like these cushions at the bottom of a closet where I was just like laying down and like pretending that we were together, you know? So you can make those spaces wherever you are. It doesn't have to be like a designated safe space, like make your designated safe space. I love that. I love that. Yeah, you can always I'm always th I'm thinking of like a stuffed animal too <laughs> to soothe your inner child, right? I need to get a new one. I want I need to get a seal. Seals have been popping up. I love seals so much, so much. Oh my gosh. But yeah, for listeners, actually in the next month, I'd say I'm going to be starting to hold um, spaces. So yeah, I'll, I'll definitely update with details around that. And I'm serious too, if listeners are curious, I'm serious about creating spaces in the future around celebrating our mistakes and failures. Like we just come together on a weekly basis and we just like, yeah, let's like, hell yeah. You know, like I fucked up real hard today. <laughs> yes. I love it. I'm so proud of you, girl. I'm so proud of you. That's uh, Thank you so, so, so much for being here. This was a pleasure. And I hope that everybody got as much out of this as I did because I have stuff that I'm going to be using. And we really need to up our work on advocacy and making sure that like mental health and, you know, trauma-informed healthcare is like a thing. Oh, yeah. It's just a part it's a requirement. It's a part of it. And it doesn't need to be some, you know, thing you need to research <laughs> at all. And thank you so much for inviting me on. I really had fun. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your story. And thank you for listeners. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have an amazing day. Or Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye.